This program is sponsored by Futures Unbounded and is responsible for its content. Welcome, fellow humans, to the Writing is on the Wall radio broadcast coming to you from WHKW 1220, a Salem radio station. I am T.A., the teacher's assistant. This program is a non-religious, non-spiritual investigation of everything we can discern that was created, recorded, and modeled for us in the Bible. That's generally the way I start things off, and I hope you understand how important that is, because we have a job. It's a job that we don't recognize, most of us, um, unless you really get into the Bible and read it for content. All these uh, people who are worried about uh, a purpose or a meaning, trying to find a purpose in a meeting, they're looking in the wrong place. Uh, the Bible has all that. And the reason it has it is because the reason we are here is we were given an opportunity. And Moses knew it and basically not only had it recorded, but told all the assembled peoples in front of him, who would become the Jews, that this opportunity was one that had never happened before. It was a tremendous thing. The opportunity was to succeed in figuring out who and what you were and why you were here on earth. Very, very important because we don't know the job that God has for us once we become adults, but we do know, or we should know, that it is our job to grow up and become adults. That's what the Bible is about. It tells us that everything will be available to us in the time period that it's necessary for us and that we will be able to use it and that we will be sophisticated enough and mature enough to understand it. And at that point is when we need to get to work and organize things for ourselves and our future opportunity. Unfortunately, I say that a lot, religion has told everyone that you don't have to work, you don't have to to do anything, all you have to do is believe and you're home free. And of course that is absolutely incorrect. Um, people have been fighting for years over uh, works versus uh, grace, and of course you wouldn't have the opportunity without the grace in the first place, which they kind of ignore, um, like they have a right to be born here on earth and to have this opportunity. They don't. It was grace that delivered us the opportunity. Now, then, whether we work on that opportunity and succeed or not is up to us. And that's what salvation is about. It is not merely spiritual. Salvation is for all of humanity, whether you are a Christian or not. And by Christian, I mean religious Christian. Because none of us are going to make it unless we follow the words of Christ. And he said it plainly, do as I do and you will succeed. That's in John. I should look it up for you, but it's 15th or 16th chapter. And that's it. We have to do as Jesus did because the reason he was sent to earth was to provide, to, to be our, how do you say this, our translator. Uh, he was to see where we were. He was to understand our motivations. He was to understand why we had not come upon it by ourselves. And to be honest, I don't know if that's possible. 
because, um, as I've said in previous broadcasts, um, even Solomon couldn't figure it out. He knew that more had to come before he could figure it out. So he got that part figured out, but he was still ticked that he couldn't complete the puzzle. And that's because it was not yet time. And if you read Ecclesiastes, especially Ecclesiastes 3, you will understand that, that he finally realized it wasn't time. He's still ticked, but there was nothing he could do about it, and he knew. So he moaned and groaned, but he got the important points across. And that's what I'm trying to do. I've tried to give you um, kind of an outside-the-box overview of what is going on here on Earth. You remember the three big questions, who are you, what are you, and why are you here on Earth? Moses mentioned the huge opportunity we were given, and I think that was probably in Deuteronomy 4. It's in Deuteronomy, anyhow. He mentioned it more than once. Um, that opportunity, which Jesus elucidated, expanded on, was to work with one another to deliver to God a completed solution. Now, you probably don't realize that if you're only religious, and that's because you think that Worship means thankfulness for whatever. Should it, Originally it meant thankfulness for the opportunity, but it also meant to work in the vineyard of the Master, God, the vineyard earth, to provide a finished solution. And that is so far back in the annals that it's kind of gotten shortchanged to worship is we're not worthy we're not worthy or some ridiculous thing like that which is maybe five ten fifteen percent tops gratefulness another fifteen maybe twenty percent we should be more grateful than we are but the entire idea was not to just say you weren't worthy and that you were grateful but to get about doing the job that you were tasked to do, that you were given the opportunity to do. And that is to work with one another to deliver to God a completed solution, which is mankind prepared to take the next step. In other words, we don't know what God has planned for us. There have been hints. Jesus has given them. God has given them. But... Nothing really substantial. But we do know that we can't get there until we are grown up. Until we quit being mesmerized by um, our bodies and our beliefs. Uh, our expectations. We are hemming ourselves in. This morning... My Bible study my, at church was Ephesians 4. And I talked with you about it last week. And um, I'm going to uh, read from what we did today. And it's, it's Paul. Um, and this is for, this is the latter part of the chapter. So I tell you and encourage you in the Lord's name not to live any longer like other people in the world. We're failing at that. Their minds are set on worthless things. 2,000 years later, it's just as true, more true than it was then. They can't understand because they are in the dark. They are excluded from the life that God approves of because of their ignorance and stubbornness. Now, if this just included people who were not churched, that would be a good starting point for the rest of us. But unfortunately, 
especially the older people who have put a lot of time and effort into believing and accepting what the various religions have tried to sell them on, have become hard-headed. They don't want to see the truth. They would prefer to ignore it. I know I'm having a hard time with my friends whom I love and trying to get them to loosen up a little. When you can't confront them directly and say, so you know everything, right? You don't need to know anything else. Whoa, no, 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 I'm not saying that. Well, what about this? Well, that, I, I've never heard that before. I said, okay, so you need to hear it first? Why don't we read the Bible together? I'll tell you what I hear, and you tell me what you hear. Then they're afraid that they will lose the grip on their beliefs that they have. And this is the problem. Jesus did not want us to rely on beliefs. He wanted us to know and understand what it was that he was trying to tell us. I've told you in the past that I've characterized that in the 21st century as subjective versus objective decision-making. Subjective is what's good for me and mine and what do I want to accept, and that ignores reality. Unless it's something that other people around you accept. So someone else had to have the idea and feed it to you and argue with you and let you argue with them back, discuss, whatever you want to call it, until you felt like, oh, well, you know, he seems to like this idea. Okay, I'll accept it. The world's really flat. Wait a minute. We know that one's not true, but everybody accepted it at one point. Because everybody else accepted it at one point. Which does not make it right, as we now know. But the problem is that if you are in a church and you have accepted the religious beliefs instead of delving into the Bible, instead of giving God the first fruits of your mental abilities and your efforts, then you fit what Paul said 2,000 years ago. In verse 18, they can't understand because they are in the dark, they are excluded from the life that God approves of because of their ignorance and stubbornness. Now, verse 19, of course, is not for religious folks. That much is stuck. Since they no longer have any sense of shame, they have become promiscuous. They practice every kind of sexual perversion with a constant desire for more. But that is not what you learn from Christ's teachings. You have certainly heard his message and have been taught his ways. The truth is in Jesus. You were taught to change the way you are living. The person you used to be will ruin you through desires that deceive you. All this is quite true, but it's only if you still hold on to the subjective form of decision-making. And that's the problem. We are now sophisticated enough, mature enough, 2,000 years later, after Paul, well, at least after Jesus, that we can understand making decisions from a different set of criteria. Not what is good for me, what makes me look good, feel good, feel like I'm enfolded in my brothers and sisters' arms. No. We can go the Jesus route. What is good for everyone? Even if people castigate me, 
for doing and saying these things, like Jesus said and did them, what can I do? When you make decisions based on what is good for everyone, yourself included, but no more so than the guy next to you, what power does that give you? It automatically slots you in with Jesus. So in Matthew, when they said, Lord, Lord, we've done miracles in your name. And he says to them, I never knew you. You needn't worry about that if you are making objective decisions. John seven twenty four. when they, they had asked him what was going on, he told them, I am here to teach you how to make judgments that are correct, to quit judging things on appearances and to make the correct decisions. Jesus' own words, you cannot get any better than that. It's John 7, 24. It's important because people just glide over it. Oh, yeah. Acceptance is not the most important thing, unless you're building a belief system. Understanding is important. If you do not need to or want to rely on beliefs, but instead want to know what Jesus said and why. And that is the dividing line. You can become a servant or a slave and obediently follow the instructions given, or you can be a part of the solution, a friend of Jesus, and figure out why he told you to do things that way. And that's John 15, 15. You really, really, really need to read John. But read it not to certify what you've been told from the pulpit, but to figure out each and everything that you could possibly question. Why did Jesus say this? Why did he put it this way? What does he want me to figure out from this? In John 3, when Nicodemus is asking him about the speech that unfortunately was not recorded, and he says, it tells Nicodemus, it's like being born again. And Nicodemus can only think of the physical act. He can't understand that leaving behind the desire to satisfy self over others is the first stepping stone towards adulthood. Sin drops away because you no longer need to worry about why you're doing something if you figure out the way to do it is best for everyone. When you read the Bible after figuring out why Jesus told you the things he did, why he wanted you to do the things that he urged you to do. And don't accept other humans' assurances that, oh, this is all you need to do. You don't have to worry about that. Don't listen to them. Listen to Jesus. Listen to God. The Bible is the word of God. And as Jesus said, I came not to create something new, but to help you with the old. And he did. Now, did anybody 2,000 years ago snap their fingers? Oh, I got it. No. 
So if it wasn't Jesus's job to solve an issue there at his time on earth, what was Jesus's job? To get the information out there so that when we matured to the point where we could accept it and use it, it was available to us. And that's where we find ourselves now, 2,000 plus years down the road from the time that Jesus lived. Matthew, Mark, and Luke made sure that they gave three eyewitness accounts that could be registered because in Judaism you had to have three certified accounts in order for something to be thought of as real. Again, it was a belief but it was within their community. And that's where this all started. Started over 3,400 years ago. Well, actually started 6,025 years ago when we came to Earth. But the important part, Deuteronomy, Moses, explaining to them, after God had gotten them together and saved them, and you would think, oh, how grateful these people are going to be. They were saved from slavery. He's going to give them this beautiful land. And no one's going to be able to give them a hard time because he's going to protect them. Well, what can I say? <laughs> they proved to be all too human, didn't they? But Jesus was born into their midst the way it was agreed to in Mount Horeb on the plain before Mount Horeb. Just as all the prophets were born into their midst as agreed to. And the individual we call God accepted the position of becoming their God at their insistence as agreed to. Now God didn't just mean protector the way you would think it did. It also meant leader. They failed on that part. They did not follow God's leadership. But it was written down. And because it was written down, it was preserved for us. And it was there for Jesus to use to try and get the Judaic authorities to quit being quite so hard-hearted and ignorant. Verse 18, Ephesians 4. But it didn't work. They were too hard-hearted and too ignorant. They could not be saved because of their hard-heartedness and their ignorance. But we could. We could because it was written down. And it came forward. Religions help keep us involved. And for that they should be thanked. Religions are like a set of sales teams. They want to sell you, get you on their side, get you in their corner, sending them money, propping them up, making them more powerful among other religions. Of course, that's backed off quite a bit now, and they're falling out of favor. And that's the way it should be. That's what God has planned for. So when you look at religions failing left and right, and them not having the answers, and you think, oh my, what is happening to God? This is not happening to God. This is happening to the religions that said they spoke for God. Which if they should have read the fourth commandment, they'd know it was a big no-no. Well, here we are at the break already. And um, I want you to listen to our sponsors and respond if you are interested. And uh, I will speak to you after the break and for the remainder of the program. Thank you very much. Talk to you after the break. Swamp. Fake news. Racist hats. Are you afraid to believe anymore? Well, let me tell you of one brave soul who, like David, slew Goliath. 
the true story of one man's fight against greed, corruption, and insatiable ambition in small-town Ohio, Checkmate reveals why passion and integrity are rare in the corridors of swing state politics. If you want to hear the truth, how the swamp operates in Ohio with all the political corruption in real time, get Steve Krause's tell-all, true-life story, Checkmate, one man's fight against political corruption, available on Amazon. As a newly elected state representative, Steve takes you behind the scenes, behind the closed doors, and rips back the curtain to expose all the lies, the deceit, and power-hungry gamesmanship. Checkmate reads like a TV drama, but it's not. Once you start it, you won't be able to put it down. Checkmate, one man's fight against political corruption by Steve Krause, available on Amazon today. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There are those in Washington who want the IRS to take more of your hard-earned money. Are you tired of being the perpetual cash cow for every scheme, unreasonable program, and for all the fraud, waste, and abuse in our system? Well, good news. I can help. George Satari has almost 40 years of experience helping people like you keep more of what you make. It makes no sense that the more you make, the more they take. Let George help you keep your money away from the government bureaucratic waste and in your pocket. Call 216-651-1120 right now and schedule your free consultation today. Instead of a victim, you'll, you'll be, be the, the victor. victor. With many success stories, George helps with tax planning, estate planning, financial and business analysis, and more. The new tax law has many ways to save money with retirement planning, accelerated depreciation, up to 20% exception of net earnings, and so much more. Call 216-651-1120. That's 216-651-1120. You earn it, we'll help you keep it. That's George Satari, CPA, 216-651-1120. Welcome back, fellow humans, to the Writing is on the Wall radio broadcast coming to you from WHKW 1220, a Salem radio station. Well, before the break, we were talking about the outside-the-box overview that I've been trying to give you as to what is going here on Earth. We are in a maturation module that has been going on for 6,025 years yet. And if the ancients were correct, has about another 120 years yet to go. I don't know. It's above my pay grade. And it's nothing I intend to worry about, how much time we have left. But it is important that we spread the word and get people reading the Bible. Reading the Bible for content, not to support any sort of religious suppositions. Now, there are some extremely important differences between religion and the Bible. One that I have brought up so far is religion wants you to obey. They want to change your behavior. And they figure that if they change your behavior, that'll make you a, quote, nice, unquote, person and get you closer to, um, I don't know, being able to live with you, I guess. Uh, being a church member, I'm not sure um, because I am not a proponent of religions. However, Jesus was very specific there's a difference between those that he would call apostles, brothers, and what we would call, what religious people, I should say, would call. They will say that once you have been baptized as a Christian, you're a Christian, that's all there is to it. And of course, John told you that there were two different levels. And the level was believe in my name, the first level, the, the entry level. And the second one was do as I do. 
will believe in my name get you into the doors of a church and will make you a church member and will let you go through all you can serve on session you can do anything you want be a deacon whatever you can be elected to by others who believe in Christ's name then there's the second group and this is the group that nobody and I mean nobody has set aside any training for I don't understand why except that most religions try to tell you that oh it's all the same yeah don't worry once you're in you're in and of course we know from the Bible that that is not correct the second group the group that needs to grow in order for Jesus's mandate here on earth to grow and for us to understand who we are and why we are here that group is the do as I do apostle group now the only way well not the only way you can follow and stumble along and not really realize what you're doing and just try to emulate everything you can read and understand from the Bible. And I hope you succeed. If that is all you can do, I hope that you succeed. But there is actually a way to do it that will relieve you of your stress and just as Jesus, his words, and the truth will set you free. Once you cross over and create a second method for making decisions, which I've called the objective method. Now, maybe somebody will come up with a better term, but that's the one that, that I use. And that is when you understand why Jesus wanted them to be servants have the heart of a servant well because a, a servant doesn't do things for themselves now a slave might a slave might well i better do this or i'm going to get whipped but a servant doesn't a servant has to have some buy-in even if it's only because this is what my master has decreed but there has to be some level of buy-in and that's when you read stuff about later on in the Bible about becoming a slave for Jesus doesn't want you to be a body slave he wants you to hook up with what he's explained so that you understand it and can live as a follower of Christ because we need to live as followers of Christ and make decisions based not on what is good for us or make us look good no what we need to do is make decisions that will give everybody an opportunity to step up take responsibility for their lives and work to grow up that is the mandate from god and jesus was the final key sent to us to explain how we could do it how and why are very important very important how is the way to make it easier on yourself by just following what Jesus told you to do in the way that he used and that's it if you look at things the way he did then you'll understand um, Matthew 4 in most Bibles is called the temptation of Christ and it's about when the prince of the air tried to seduce Jesus with earthly things. 
Well, he didn't have a prayer. But the people who write and explain the Bible to you thinks that he might have. They don't understand that Jesus was not attracted to any of this stuff because he was already making decisions subjectively. I don't know if it was from birth or not, but at some point before the end of his desert time, when he came back, he not only knew the mission he had, he knew how he needed to go about working to accomplish it. Again, I don't know if he knew that it would not be accomplished in his physical lifetime until, of course, his time came and he was went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray for more time. But he trusted God. He trusted God to follow through because it's God's program. Now, this brings up a lot, which religions just try to sweep under a particular rug and say, oh, well, it's because Jesus was part of God, and so is the Holy Spirit, and we call him the Trinity, and if, and if you disagree, we're going to kill you. And they did. People who disagreed were burned at the stake. Yeah, really Christian, huh? Well, what can I say? They were trying to establish as reality something that had just recently occurred to them. And the reason it occurred to them is because people said, well, if Jesus could do this, then I can do it. And they wouldn't have control. The religious people would not have control over you or your finances or your power if you didn't need them, if you weren't worried about being excommunicated. Then they didn't have control over you. So they said, well, Jesus understood of this because... He was God, and you're not. Both of those, well, actually the last part is true. It was completely incorrect. You are a part of God. Again, Ephesians 4. Paul had a lot to say in this, and we just skip over it. <clears throat> 4.24 4.24, you were also taught to become a new person created to be like God with a life that truly has God's approval and is holy. Now, you don't have God's power, and I hope you understand that. You don't have God's authority. But when you become a follower of Christ, you get into the part of the equation where you are part of the solution as well as part of the problem. Every man born to woman is part of the problem, period. You can also be part of the solution. And that's why Jesus wanted people who were part of the solution to go out and preach it to everyone, the Great Commission. Because the Holy Spirit will work through you on others. But if you are so stubborn... Let's see, that was verse uh, 18. That you say that God can only be one individual or God can only be three individuals combined into one. 
then you are hard-headed and you will not be part of God's group. God can be as many people as he wants to be, as many personas, as many active roles as he wants to take. You should not limit them in your mind. It's silly. And the only ones that really, really affects is you and the people that you talk to and agree with. You were given free will for a purpose. You have to make the proper decisions. In order to make those decisions, you have to learn how to make those decisions. And that's why Jesus was sent. To teach you how to judge correctly. Not to judge on outward appearances, but to judge correctly. Well, the only way you can make correct judgments, if, if you set it up correctly, and if you make a decision based not on you, the individual, but on you, a part of humanity. As I've said in the past, think of yourself as a cell in the body of man because that's the way God looks at you. You are an individual cell. You have a purpose. You have a job. And if you become cancerous, you can affect the body negatively. But if you become filled with light, you can affect the body of man positively. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across. Become the light. Don't hide it under a bushel. Let it shine forth and reveal to others something that they can have, they can be part of, simply by following Christ's instructions and directions, doing as he did. So I want you to understand that all this was set up well, we know more than 6,000 years ago. But something you should do, start you off on your Bible reading, your, how do I put this? You're trying to understand the words. I'll give you a concept. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, up to the point where Adam is ushered out of the garden and the guardian is set with the flaming sword to make sure that they do not return. Genesis 2. The snake says, Did God really say that you would not that you would surely and inevitably die if you ate of the fruit of this tree? And Eve replied, and she kind of one-upped him a little bit, because she had never spoken to God, but she had gotten it from Adam, and she put a little extra spin on it, shall we say, and showed you her personal desire to reflect herself in the decision. Now, we've all read that many times and never really thought about it.
But if you read back and you look at it and you think, well, why did she inject herself into this? Of course, I guess if you're talking to a snake, you can do whatever you want, right? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that we were given that picture so that we could understand that she was inserting herself subjectively into a situation. She was owning it, if you will. So, Deuteronomy comes. And according to her and the snake, and what the snake said to her, the snake knew, you will surely and inevitably die if you eat of the tree of knowledge. He just gave her the opportunity to insert herself, and she took it. So 2,600 years later, Moses is in front of Mount Horeb on the plain. And he's talking to the people assembled who will become the Jews. And he says, think back. Nothing this important has ever happened before. Think all the way back to man's first days on earth. And that's the way that you are supposed to characterize everything that's gone before for the past 2,600 years was set up to this moment and this agreement that we are about to ink with God and that you are all going to agree to. And so you get to Deuteronomy 30. Now there's an awful lot in Deuteronomy. And you need to read it, and you need to read it for understanding. It's the second book of the Bible, even though it comes fifth in our Bibles after Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. But it's the second book because Genesis was the first. Genesis was the prequel, if you will. Deuteronomy is being written at the very time that this is going on. And the only reason that anything was written down at that time and had not been before was because Jesus, or pardon me, God commanded that it be done. And when you read that in the Bible, it's only a few words and you, you'll skip right over it, not realizing how important that was. So Deuteronomy 30, which is like the executive summary of what is being promised and how things will be judged and weighed and timetables for when things will happen. All in one chapter. I think it's about the sixth verse. Where, he, Jesus, where God lets us know that over the 2,600 years, we have gotten a, an opportunity, a second, a, a secondary opportunity, I guess is the way to put it, as far as timing goes. And that is that Jesus will not return to earth that things will not be rolled up, if you will, that our opportunity still exists until the Jews turn back to God wholeheartedly. This has never happened in my lifetime. It's not about to happen in yours either, so we got time. But if the ancients were correct... We've only got about another 120 years. 
I don't know. Like I said, it's above my pay grade. It's not anything I'm concerned about. God will handle that. And I'll be gone by then. But hopefully, even if people are listening to my words then, they're trying, they're understanding what it is that we need to do. We need to grow up and become prepared for the challenges that God has in mind for us after we have grown up. And the salvation that Jesus talked about is not merely spiritual. But if we understand what it is that God wants of us and why, and what Jesus has explained to us and why, then we will be adults. We will be prepared. Psalm 27, 14. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul and wait in expectation for the arrival of God. And that's what we're supposed to do. Prepare. Do our best. Try to understand. Try to figure out what it is that we need to do and why we need to do it. Be prepared for when God returns. Be prepared for when our opportunity is up upgraded. When we are no longer animals with a vision of the future, but we are people with an expectation of the future based on our compliance with the instructions and directions given to us in the Bible. So, God gave us this opportunity. Moses talked about it, told us what the opportunity entailed and how generally how much time we'd have to do it and what the death knell for our opportunity would be, our timing at least. So we need to get busy. We need to love and learn with grace. But we need to go forward and work to understand. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening in. And um, I'll try and get things accomplished to be even more forthcoming next week. Thank you, folks, and have a great night. Bye-bye. has been sponsored by George Satari, CPS.